Welcome to the Victory Life Church Podcast. We believe it's important to present an uncomplicated and uncluttered view of Christ and how we should live. We hope this podcast inspires you and helps build your faith. If you ever find yourself in the area, come check us out. For more information on services and events, visit us at vlcministries.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at VLC Plantation. God is, and my name is Jacob. I'm one of the pastors here. Can we welcome our church family watching and online? Thank you for joining us. You could be seated. Tell the person next to you, I'm so glad that you're sitting next to me, man. I'm so thankful. Tell them they look good. We're going um, we're gonna to jump right into the book of Hebrews if you have your Bibles. Anybody got a Bible in the house? Would you just hold it up? Hold it up. If you're looking at home, would you grab your Bible? And I uh, mean, this is everything to us. Man, I almost went Joel Osteen on you and quoted what Joel Osteen always says. This is my Bible, um, but, I, but I won't. But um, the statement's true, and it's everything to us, and it means everything to us, and it's changed everything about. Has it changed everything about you? So why don't we read it? Is that okay? If you have your Bibles, we're going to go to Hebrews uh, chapter 10. We have uh, been diving through the, the book of Hebrews, and man, it's just it's been very encouraging for me. It's it's a book that we really don't know who the author is. Many would say it's Paul, who's writing to a bunch of Jewish people who have left Judaism and they have stepped into this newfound faith in the Messiah. But as they've stepped into this newfound faith, maybe you can recall when you stepped into the faith, it wasn't everything that you thought it was. You thought everything was going to be great. You weren't going to experience any hardship. There wasn't going to be any persecution. And then all of a sudden you experience those things. People don't like you anymore. You lose some friends. Your family members despise you, and you're thinking, man, God, I didn't, I didn't sign up for this. And that's what the Jewish people were experiencing. Immediately, they were experiencing persecution. And so they're looking back to the old ways, thinking, man, if I could just go back to those traditions, those, those ceremonies that God had saved them from, those are good things, by the way. But they were no longer required. The writer says, I need you to, I need you to keep at it. I need you to stay strong. Don't abandon that which you have now stepped into. Don't leave it but stay in it. And so we get to Hebrews 10. Uh, what I want to do is read the first 18 verses, comment on a few things, and then I'm going to, the bulk of it, I'm going to start in verse 19, but go with me to verse 1. We'll start here. It says, the law is only a shadow of the good things. Somebody say good things. Of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. I thought my dad showed a great image last week of the cat casting a shadow onto the wall of a, of, a, of a lion. And so much of the Old Testament, I think people viewed God in fear that he was this some great lion that was out to destroy them. But then as you experience and understand who Jesus is, you realize what was actually casting that shadow. They are the same. It just looks a little bit different, feels a little bit different. Because it was different. What was coming was going to be different because the law was only a shadow of that. For this reason, it can never by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. There was, there was nothing um, that could be done to bring you to where you were supposed to be other than Jesus. Jesus was it. There was no other sacrifice needed. You now have been made perfect in Christ. Verse two, if it could, would there not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once and for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. 
you remember, there was a covering of sins that took place when you sacrificed an animal. Now, we don't sacrifice animals anymore, but that was what they had to do for their sins. They had to sacrifice an animal, and that would cover their sins, but it would not take away their sins. There was nothing that could take away the human guilt inside of us. There wasn't a complete forgiveness that was going to be, uh, you know, showed up there at that time. It didn't happen until Jesus came. Verse 5, therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offerings you do not desire, but a body you prepared for me with burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased then I said, somebody say he said. he said. He said, here I am. It's written about me in the scroll. I've come not to do your will or the priest's will, but I've come to do my father's will. I've come to do God's will. And now the writer of Hebrews kind of breaks this down. He kind of expository teaches this message right here. He says, first he said, sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire. Nor were you pleased with them although they were a requirement under the law. Then he said, here I am. I've come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus once and for all. Jesus shows up and he says, that law and what it required and what it gave was insufficient. And so there needed to be something new. There was an old covenant that worked for a time, but it was insufficient, and so a new covenant needed to be established. Today, you and I are living under that new covenant, the blood of Jesus. Anybody thankful for the new covenant and the blood of Jesus? Verse 11, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which, again, can cover sins, but it can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, talking about Jesus. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. Because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect, not by multiple sacrifices, not by an annual sacrifice, but by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. And after that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws, now he's quoting Jeremiah, my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. And then he adds, and we love this passage, if you're a believer in the room, their sins and lawless acts, I will remember them no more. He will no longer hold them against you, verse 18, and where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin few things before we get into verse 19. Number one, notice the repetition of the Bible. Isn't it interesting how, you know, these are things, and I, I read through this maybe fast because we've read these things. We've been discussing these things. <clears throat> but repetition was necessary for the believers then, and in fact, it's necessary for us today. Sometimes these are the simplest truths that you, that you need to be reminded of daily because there are so many other voices that are fighting for your attention to, to, to allow you to compromise that which you know. And so repetition is essential. It just keeps reminding you of, hey, this is where you've come from. This is where you're no longer supposed to be. In fact, all that you did, God had forgiven you. So don't walk in shame anymore. The scripture says there is no, there is no longer condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Get that in your head. In fact, let me write it on your head. Let me write it in your mind. Let me write it on your heart. 
So there were other ways that people did things to remember what they did. They wore things. You put things on your fridge. You put things on your wall. But you don't always see those because you're not always in your room or you're not always wearing those things. And so God is saying, I'm going to write them on your heart. I'm going to write them in your mind. So repetition is essential. Now, a couple other things that we see here is, one, there is no more sin offering. This is the conclusion of this doctrinal segment of sin offering. Anybody thankful that there's no more sin offering? Once and for all, God did it. You are made holy now because of what the the body of Christ did for you. You're made holy. So there is no more sin offering. But there's something else that I see here, and that's perhaps the the revealing or this threefold revelation of who God is. Now, what do I mean by the threefold revelation of who God is? We believe in a triune God. We believe that there is one God, the creator of all things, yet equally, eternally existing in three loving divine persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. How many of you have heard this before? This is what we would say, the Trinity. It's a very hard thing to understand because it's a very hard thing to explain. I was trying to tell my kids about God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, how they're all the same, but they're not, or they're all God, they're not the same, but they're all one. And, and so I took a pretzel, and you know, a pretzel has three circles. All the circles aren't the same, but they're all one pretzel. I was just trying to help them understand because, you know, when he says, but I want God, then my son will say, but I really want Jesus. And the other one says, I have no idea who the Holy Spirit is, you know. There are five. They they don't understand, but that kind of makes sense for me. Imagine a pretzel, right? One God, but equally, uh, you know, existing eternally in these three things, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Bible is very clear that there is one God. The Bible is also clear that God or the Father is God that Jesus is God and the Holy Spirit is God. And so I read this passage, I look in verse, from where they're quoting in Psalm, when it says Christ came to do his Father's will. In verse 15, we have the Holy Spirit testifying. So what I'm reading here just in chapter 10 is we have the, the, the will of Christ, or, or sorry, we have, we have the work of Christ fulfilling the will of God, and we have the Holy Spirit testifying. Incredible stuff. And this is what we believe. Somebody tried to tell me the other day that I don't believe in that. I don't believe that God is, the Father is God and Jesus is God and the Holy Spirit is God. In fact, there's multiple, multiple gods. And then I just was like, okay, that's what, that's what you believe. This conversation is going nowhere. And we were at Starbucks too and I was sitting next to him. And so eventually I had, I had either we had to disagree and then I had to get up or he had to get up. So um, I, ended up, I ended up leaving. Um, we got in a little disagreement. But let, let me go to verse 19 because it's important we read these verses. And it's important now I kind of break down these next passages. And I want to shift our perspective from um, what you now know to what you are now supposed to, to do. Because we love knowing what we know, but we don't always love doing what we're supposed to do. Can I get an amen? amen. And so I want to now move to what, because of what we know, here's, here's, here's what we're supposed to do. Verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters. Since we have a confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, remember there was a way that people had to approach God, and it was through a high priest who would go through the curtain to get into the Holy of Holies. My dad did a phenomenal job talking about that last week. But since now we have a confidence... Because of what Jesus did, he broke the curtain, tore the curtain. Now we have access to the Father. We don't have to go through anybody else. We don't have to do anything. That in the Holy of Holies now lives inside of you. 
inside of me because we have this confidence of what he did. We have a confidence in who he is. Verse 22, let us. Somebody say let us. What we have here is is two statements, summary statements that lead to a few conclusions. All right? Number one, since we have a confidence in who God is and what he did. Number two, since he is the the great priest over the house of God. Let us. And there's a few conclusions we get to, and this is what I want to teach to you today. So if you're taking down notes, I didn't give you my title. I actually titled this Confidence Without Compromising. You may have a different title if you're looking through the app, but I've changed it since. Confidence Without Compromising. And I want to, I want to teach to you today on these three uh, phrases of let us. Now, now that we know what we know, We broke down all that the tabernacle was and now that lives inside of you. We broke down all of what the priesthood was, the Levitical priesthood, and now now the priesthood in the order of Melchizedek that Jesus is. Now we have a confidence. And now there are a few phrases starting with let us that we can dive into. The first one is this we find in verse 22. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Somebody say, draw near, draw near. You go back to Exodus 19. Moses comes down from Mount Sinai and he tells, God tells Moses to gather the people together because I'm going to come and I'm going to bring a word. And so Moses is like, all right, everybody come into the, you know, get ready, prepare your hearts. God is about to speak. God is about to speak. And he speaks. And what does he give them? He gives them the Ten Commandments. Do you know that the passage says that the people were so fearful of God, in fear and trembling, they begged and pleaded that Moses would now be the one to speak on behalf of God because they did not want to hear God anymore. They could not approach God anymore. They were so fearful of God. And so Moses became the mediator between God and the people. And then he would establish the priesthood, which would start with Aaron. We've already talked about that. But the people were so fearful of God. I can't, I can't approach God. You ever, you ever met somebody who's deep, deep in sin and far from God? And, and, and they say, I, I, I could never show up to church because not only will I get struck by lightning, but everybody else will probably because of me. I can't go there. No, no way I can't go there. How about you just be the one to tell me because I, I, I cannot show up to church because I will surely die because of all that I have done. Moses, can you please, please speak to us because there's no way we can approach God. There's no way we can draw near God. And now you get to Hebrews and the writer says, draw near to him with a sincere heart. Draw near to him. That means that I don't have to fear God anymore. But can I tell you, there is a a type of fear that's still here. Do I have to fear God in fear and trembling that that he's going to smite me or kill me because of my sins, even though I've accepted and received the knowledge of God? No. But there is a a different kind of fear that we still have to have. If you didn't think that you had to have fear, Proverbs 1.7 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Knowledge, wisdom. And so this, this type of fear that I have for God is actually uh, giving me the wisdom and the understanding of God. And so developing a fear of God, a righteous fear, a reverent fear of God is a good thing. In fact, it's a great thing. It's an incredibly powerful thing that we have. The fear of God not only gives us a better perspective of who God is, but it saves us from going back to the places that we were in. 
the places that I've been saved from. I don't want to go back into those things. I have a fear of, I have a reverent fear of God, which keeps me from going back into those same things. In fact, Jesus was telling his disciples, well, if you go back to Romans 3, sorry, Romans 3 talks about a lot of this sin that's going on, various types of sins, and it wasn't because they were far from God. They weren't sinning because they were encamped near sin and they were being persuaded to sin. They were simply sinning because they had a lack of fear of God in their eyes. So that tells us that there should be some type of fear of God. Matthew 10, 28, let me share this passage. Jesus is telling his disciples, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one, God, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, he was telling his disciples when they were going to evangelize to the lost to preach this passage right here, to say these exact words. Because for an unbeliever, there is a fear of eternal death, eternal separation. This is what we say all the time, right? If you die today, you breathe your last breath, where will you go? Will you go to heaven or will you go to hell? There should be a fear of God in an unbeliever's life at some point where they realize that if they don't submit to a lifestyle of obedience to God, that that's where they will end up. But do we share that same, that same fear as a believer? No. There's a different kind of fear that a believer has and that fear is based upon what we do for God or what we don't do for God. There are consequences for your sin because how many of you know that God hates sin? And so because there are, confidence, or there are consequences for sins, we have to know there are consequences, therefore there's a type of judgment that we have, and we'll talk about that in Hebrews chapter 12. But again, what I'm saying is do not be scared of God instead, of, instead draw near to God. A approach the throne room because he's, he's here. In fact, you've got issues, you've got burdens, show up. Man, you don't even know, Jacob, what I've done, what I've committed. You have no idea the long list of things that I've said and accused God of. Approach his throne. He's a loving and forgiving God. He's full of mercy. He's kinder than you think he is. He's got more compassion for you than you think he has. Some of you have been there, you know that. How many of you received the compassion and the grace of God? When you were at your lowest moment, when you committed all these things, you show up to church and God says, I love you. I forgive you. Now let's go. Let's shape up, right? Um, so let us draw near. Now that we have this confidence in, in, in what God did and who God is, I can draw near to him. I don't got to go through anybody else. I don't have to perform any type of sacrifice. Although I'd like to sacrifice one of my pets at home, I don't have to do that anymore. I could just show up to God because he's here and he lives in my heart. The second one that we get to is in Hebrews 10, verse 23. It says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. In other words, the confession that you've made, the hope that you have, hold it. Somebody say, hold your hope. Hold it. Don't get shaky with it. Don't all of a sudden think that because of what you're experiencing now, what you have and what you've always believed isn't really true. Let me give you a quote by a famous name by the name of Charles Spurgeon. He said, we live in such a changeful age that we need all to be exhorted or encouraged or to urge all to be rooted, to be grounded, to be confirmed, and to be established in what? In truth. Can I remind you of the age that we live in today? Many of you don't have to even turn on the news to know what we live in today. 
And you know that it's very sad that we have believers who are not rooted, they are not grounded, they are not confirmed, and they are not established in truth. And because they are not rooted, grounded, established, and confirmed in truth, they have resorted to compromising that which they've held on to for so long. Because they start to experience a little discomfort, they start to experience a little bit of persecution, uh, they start to see things going different ways that they didn't think. And, you know, culture would say that your truth adapts to how the world adapts. You know, what you believed 100 years ago, Jacob, isn't the same thing. What the Bible said 1,000 years ago doesn't really, really apply to today, so you got to change it up a little bit, and, and you got to kind of remove some things here and there, and maybe don't believe that about God, maybe just believe that about God and accept the things that he says is wrong because it's right today, and you've compromised that truth, and now you're not standing because you're not rooted, you're not grounded, you're not established, you're not confirmed. You're confirmed in your truth, what the world says, but can I tell you that God's truth doesn't adapt to the culture. It doesn't adapt to, to laws that are now put into, put into act. It doesn't adapt just because um, um, everybody feels like this is the direction it should go. And in fact, God's word says, this is what I say, and this is it. That's all that matters. What does God say? You just go back to the Bible. I know that that politician says that, and that school wants to do that, but um, how do I feel? <laughs> That's the wrong thing to ask. No, what does God say? What does the word of God say about this? If I'm going to hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess for he who is promised is faithful, then I need to be rooted and grounded and confirmed and established in truth. And we got too many Christians who are compromising truth. You can compromise preferences, but you cannot compromise principles. God's principles. Psalm 119, verse 160, the sum of your word, the writer says, is truth. And every one of your righteous rules, it endures forever. It's everlasting. This thing made sense a thousand years ago and it makes sense a thousand years from now. It's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. These truths apply to you now and they will apply to you a hundred years from now. No matter what kind of politician changes things, this is true. Are you rooted and grounded in it? Because if you're not, you compromise. I was talking to one of my good friends who's Haitian, and he was telling me all the corruption that's going on in Haiti right now with the police. You look at countries like Pakistan, you look at countries like Mexico, you look at Haiti, the police corruption is rampant. Now, you'd say, we live in America, there's police corruption here. Well, certainly there is. But as a whole, I think we live in a country where we're very grateful for our police. And they do their best to protect us and to protect citizens and do what they're supposed to do. A few, a few bad apples seem to have spoiled the, the rest, but we know that's not true, despite what media will tell us. But in other countries, it's true. In fact, he was telling me that they're so far gone in Haiti that it doesn't seem like there's ever going to be any hope for changing it around. And if you do think that you can... You think that you can, you know, grow up in the, in the ranks and, and start in the force and start to, you know, apply good principles and, and have good motives and really start to bring change. They'll either kill you or you have to compromise. And they won't just kill you, they're going to kill your family. And so if you're a police officer put in a situation like this where, um, you know, you, you've, you've, you've taken over a, a drug lord, you've got all the money and the drugs, and, and uh, now, now the, the money's being dispersed to you, and you're like, I can't take that, man. In fact, I've got to report you for what you're taking. You're going to be killed if you don't take it. And so what many do is they justify their actions by what they take, and they think, you know what, maybe I can do good with this. But eventually they get so far deep into it that there's no escape. 
they've, they've, they've compromised in one little area, then they've compromised in other areas, and they've compromised in more areas, and eventually they've just compromised at all. Now, we hear some of the stories of people who are standing. It's rare. Some of them are killed. They're martyrs. But now think about our faith. Think about what the world says to Christians who aren't compromising. We know what they're saying to Christians who are compromising. And, in fact, they'll celebrate you. In fact, there are, there are organizations that will go to churches' websites, and they will scroll down to the bottom, and they will see if you are a church that is LGBT-affirming. And we have many churches that are LGBT-affirming. And, you know, they'll, they'll accept you, they'll welcome you, and, of course, we will welcome you. But God is very clear on that. And we have pastors who, you know, I'll, I'll marry so-and-so, I'll marry so-and-so, but we're, we're LGBT-affirming, you know. So what you've done is you've compromised on some of that truth. And the world will celebrate you. Hey, we got a church over here that's willing to compromise. Everybody should go to that church. I mean, that is a dangerous place to be, compromising on the things of God because you start to flirt with evil and now you start to negotiate with evil. And can I tell you, church, that there is no more room on the shelf for another object of worship. I'll say it again. There is no more room on that shelf for another object of worship. It is only God. It has to be God. It can't be anything else other than God. If you've got anything else on there, it is time to take it down. There's no more room. You can't have some of God and some of the world. Look at Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You go back to Daniel and you see under King Nebuchadnezzar, he tells Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he says, here's this idol, bow down to it. You could do whatever you want with your God, but when the, when the, clock, when the clock strikes, you have to bow down. Just, just, just bow down. You don't really have to say anything. You don't really have to act like it. Just bow down to this idol and, and then you could do whatever you want. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not willing to bow down to that idol. They weren't willing to compromise because of the pressure they were facing, even though the solution was death for them. And they said, no, we won't. Daniel under King Darius. King Darius issues this decree, and he says, for for 30 days, you can't pray to anybody else except me. 30 days. All right, if I'm a believer and I get told that I can't pray to God for 30 days, but I have to pray to this one or I just, I just can't pray to any other God, then maybe I just won't pray. Maybe I'll just be silent. I'm not going to tell anybody, God, can I, can I not pray to you for 30 days? Is that cool? And then, then we'll, we'll jump back to where we were, you know, after 30 days. Daniel could have said that. He could have compromised to the pressure that he was facing. But did he? He was thrown into a pit of lions and he was spared. And God did a miracle in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's life and Daniel's life. And the result was there was a change of heart in both kings. So you thinking that compromising is going to protect you, can I tell you, church, it it will kill you. And there will be no escape. We can't compromise on the things of God. If I'm rooted, if I'm grounded, if I'm confirmed, if I'm established in truth, it doesn't matter the pressure that I'm facing. It doesn't matter what's being thrown at me or laws. It doesn't matter. I may lose some friends over this. I may lose my job. You better believe that I will be canceled for this. But I must worship God and God alone. I can't compromise my truth Because my truth is God's truth. No matter if you don't appeal to it or agree to it, I will not conform and compromise to what you want me to do 
because it's contrary to what God is wanting me to do. And I don't listen to you. I don't take my rules from you. I take my rules from God. In a changing age, as Spurgeon would say, make sure you're rooted, grounded, confirmed, and established in truth. Paul says to the church of Colossae in chapter 3, verse 5, he says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, things that will cause you to compromise your flesh. Sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry, but there is no room on the shelf for another idol. God is the only one. Don't put anything else out there. So since we know what God did, since we know who God is, he sent his son to die for you, the new covenant, which is his blood. He became the, the great priest over the house of God. You don't have to enter in through any other, any other room or any other priest. You get it here now. You have access to God. Since we know these things, let us draw near to him. Let us hold to this faith unswervingly that we have. Hold your faith. Don't let it be shaky. And then we get to the third one in verse 24. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, this, is, this could kind of be two. My, my Bible actually says let us twice here in verse 24 and 25. Let us consider how we may spur one another on and let us not give up meeting together. They're, they're kind of linked, and let me tell you why. The, the word spur and the actual translation is the word stir up, which in the Greek means to stimulate or to provoke. So if you have to stimulate something, you have to provoke something. It cannot do what it needs to do on its own. You have to initiate that. So encouraging one another, loving one another is, isn't just something that just happens, right? You've got to do it. You've got to provoke it. It only happens when you're doing it. And the scripture here is saying it's happening when you're around other believers, and so if we're not going to give up on encouraging one another, then we have to not give up on meeting together. Because how can you encourage somebody when you're not around somebody? How can you yourself be encouraged when nobody's there to encourage you? Some of you think that you just sit at home all alone is going to save you and talk you out of doing the things that you're not supposed to do, but you don't got anybody there. You're like the little boy in baseball who strikes out and loses the loses the game for his team, and what does he do? He puts his head down, and he walks over to the bench, and he sits alone. You're like the little girl in the, in the recital that messes up, and because if she messes up, you know, her, her, her group now loses the competition, and what does she do? She puts her head down, and she walks over to the seat, and she sits down. Can I tell you, I pity the one who sits down and has nobody there. I pity you. If you're here today and you're a believer and you're saying, man, I want to do the things of God, I want to serve God, I want to encourage other people, but every time you start to feel some condemnation, every time you start to experience some persecution, immediately you revert to isolation. And you revert to isolation, you lock yourself in a room, you close a door, you turn off your phone, and you just want to sit. But I think about that little boy and that little girl who probably has an incredible coach and some great teammates who when that girl or boy sits down on that bench with their head down thinking they have just failed, all of a sudden they didn't even know it because their eyes were closed. They barely could feel it because of the anxiety running through their veins. All of a sudden they felt that hand on their shoulder. And it was coach or it was the teammate saying, hey, don't worry about it, I'm here for you. Let's get him next time. Let's do it next time. 
And I thank God when I come to church, that when I'm feeling ashamed, when I'm feeling like I've, I've made a mistake, when I feel like I'm living in sin, I come here and all of a sudden somebody smiles and greets me and says, hey, Jacob, how you doing, man? I love you. I'm here for you. Man, sign me up for this every single day. I don't want you to come once a week. I need your encouragement every day. You need somebody else's encouragement every day. But too many people as soon as they start to be discouraged, they have a tendency to isolate themselves. And when you isolate yourself, you avoid community. And how are you supposed to do what God says you're supposed to do when you are not around community? Let us consider how we may provoke one another, encourage one another. Now, why is this so important for the Hebrew believers? Remember, they left Judaism. This is how they had to do things, and they've stepped into this newfound faith, the Messiah, and this is now how things were, and all of a sudden persecution happens, and then what do they do? Discouragement takes place. They put their head down, and they walk over here, and they sit on a little bench, and when you sit on a bench, you start to tell yourself things. You start to convince yourself that, you know what? It was way better back there. It was way more comfortable back there. I liked it back there. I liked it back then when I was doing the things and I wasn't getting all this persecution. I wasn't getting all this discouragement. I, I liked it then because they've isolated themselves. They don't have anybody around them to tell them that's not what you're supposed to say. That's not who you are. God has not created you that way and don't convince yourself otherwise. But some of you know people that have left the church because they had nobody there. Some of you could have said something and you didn't. I don't want to make you feel guilty. I'm just saying, speak up if you see your brother or sister discouraged. Let them know who God is and who God has created them to be. Let them know, remind them that they are loved, that they are valued, that there is no condemnation for those who, in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter how many mistakes you've made, how much sin you've committed. God is right here and he will forgive you of your sins and he will remember them no more. Amen. Remind them of that. Tell them they belong to this place. We need them. But if you notice something interesting about this passage, it really isn't about you coming and receiving something. It is about you showing up, contributing something. Because we could talk a lot about how church may be for you, and you could show up and always get and receive. And this is, this is my time to get what I need to get. Now, this is your time to give what God has told you to give. This is about contributing. We're the body of Christ. Without you, this wouldn't happen. And so this isn't about getting, this is about you stepping in, not forgetting to encourage one, one another, and, and don't forget to meet with other people. Don't give up. Show up. And don't convince yourself that church isn't important. Don't convince yourself that you don't need the people around you. In fact, do me a favor, turn to the person next to you and tell them, I need you, and you need me. Come on, I need you, and you need me. Because here's the truth. If you compromise in this one area, neglecting meeting together, if you compromise in this area, you will compromise in truth. My wife and I got the privilege to get away for a little bit, and we got to go up to Hutchison Island and hang out with the kids. Many of you know if you have little kids, because I got three little ones, a vacation with three little ones. Um, is it a vacation? <laughs> I don't know. Kind of. Um, me and my wife alone, man, that's great. That's a vacation. But um, when we had little kids, it, it, you know, it's, it's a vacation still, but it's, it's a lot. We were by the beach, and so, you know, we're there, and we're, we're swimming out in the water, and we're going to the pool, and we got to meet some incredible people. And we, we were talking to this couple 
Uh, we saw them throughout the couple days, and, and, and you know, they were like, oh, you guys are so cool, little kids. And they were older and near retirement age. So if you know anybody near retirement age, you either hate kids or you really love kids. You know, you like, get them away from me or uh, bring them all here. And this couple really loved having us around. And, and we didn't talk that much, but on the third day, we were sitting there talking, and we're in the pool and talking about it. I mean, everything, life, what they did. And then he asked the question. He says, by the way, what, what do you do? And um, well, I said, you know, I'm a minister. I'm a, I'm a pastor. And they said, that's it. I said, what do you mean? There's just something different about you and your wife and your kids. There's so much joy in them. There's so much life in them. You have great personalities, great to talk to. I mean, this, that, that's why. And they said, yeah, that, that's why. You guys, you, guys, uh, you guys go to church anywhere? And they said, no, no, we're, we're Catholic and uh, we were devout Catholics is what they said. But then she said, we don't do the church thing anymore. So we were, we were, well, we were devout Catholics. But we don't really do that church thing anymore. I'm like, oh, okay. I mean, you know, God is everything to me, and he loves me, and he has a plan for me, and he's the same with you, and he wants to do great things. And no matter how old you are, you've got breath in your lungs, you've got purpose. And even though you're coming to retire, coming to South Florida to live on the beach, like many do, don't think that your days are done. And, but it was what she said next that, that shocked me. Because she said, we were devout Catholics, and, and then... Um, we don't really do that church thing anymore. And then she said, it really doesn't matter what religion you have as long as you have a religion. And I started scratching my head. I started thinking about this as I was reading this scripture. And I want you to notice the, the progression. Right? I'm all in. I'm not really into that church thing anymore meeting with other people. I don't even like other people. I'm not really sure what I believe. Now, why does the writer bring up that as the last one, right? You, you think that maybe that's not even one or that could have been the first one. Don't forsake meeting together. This is important. The early church of Acts, that's what they did. Um, but he says, first, draw near to God so you can know God and hold on to the things of God. And, and don't forget to do it with other people. Because if you don't do it with other people then this is going to get really challenging to do by yourself. And if this is really challenging to do by yourself, then you're going to start to question and compromise that which you know and believe. And so if I'm not around other people, believers, community, brothers and sisters who are encouraging me, who are, who are motivating me, I'm not going to be too confident about what, I, what I'm holding on to, and therefore I'm not going to be confident enough, and I'll compromise that which I believe. Confidence without compromising. The Jewish people were starting to compromise that which they believed, thinking that that which they left from was greater than that which they now have. And this, 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 this couple, which they were extremely nice, they essentially told me, man, we once believed, and now we're not even sure what we believe. What, what, what is it even truth? We're old. It doesn't even matter, right? We've lived our days. It doesn't even matter. Oh, it does matter. It, it, you better believe it matters a whole lot because you start compromising, you start negotiating with the devil. And pretty soon here, you might be one of his. And we have too many of our, our friends who were apparent Christians their whole life who are now walking with the devil. What, what, are, you, what are you doing? Well, you know where it started? It didn't start with me questioning God. It started with me not showing up to church, not getting around people, leaving my small group, forgetting to hang around brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm not saying 
church is everything, but God loves his bride. He loves his church. And the passage says to not stop meeting together. And so it, it, start, it started there. You may know somebody. That's where it started. And church really wasn't a priority to me. I, I got my own church in my home with me, my family. That's not my church. I've heard too many stories like that. And then months down the road, a year down the road, not only are they not doing church in their home anymore, but they're just so far from God. I'm not saying you can't do church in your home. Don't hear it or not. It's not what I'm saying. You can do that. Make sure you're around other believers. But you need the church and the church needs you. And eventually you might find yourself at a place where you've abandoned the church because you didn't want to be around people. How can you hold firm to something when you don't have no accountability or encouragement? And now you don't even know what you believe. Let me tell you, let me tell you this, church, and I'll, I'll close. Do not be selfish with your fellowship with God. Do not be selfish with your fellowship with God. Let other people in. Let them around. Fellowship with other people, with God. Don't be selfish in it. Dwight L. Moody said, church attendance is as vital to a disciple as a transfusion of rich, healthy blood to a sick man. Don't be selfish. You need this. The church needs you. And you don't want to find yourself compromising in that which you believe. Everything that we've just talked about, everything that God has, has, has said is truth. It's, it's different than what they knew. It's new. And, and now they're stepping into it and they're like, man, this is great. But all of a sudden persecution starts. I lose friends. I lose my job. My family doesn't really like me. My wife wants to leave me because I'm trying to honor God. And you know what? I might, I might just go back to the way it was. And you had no accountability. You had no friends sharpening you, encouraging you. Hey, keep going. This, this is going to happen. When you step into the faith, you might experience these things, but keep going. And by the way, the world doesn't tell you this, but persecution, trials, actually is development. It's spiritual development. And it's so good. I thank God for the trials in my life. I thank God for that because it's been developing me to hold on to what I know more tightly. And then I see miracles take place. I see the goodness of God and I have a greater confidence in who I believe in. That didn't change who God is, but it changes the confidence that I have. I don't want to compromise. I love, I love this passage, let us, let us, let us. God is so invitational. He's so invitational. He's, he says, come on, I got you. I'm here for you. You got issues? That's all right. I'm the issue, I'm the issue solver. You, you got problems? I'm the problem solver. You, you need miracles? I'm the miracle worker. You got, you got families who are far from God? Man, I, I specialize in bringing prodigal people home. I specialize in that. Come on, bring them here. Let's go. I'm here for you. Let me pray for you. Would you stand to your feet? Father God, all across this room, Lord, I know that some of us are hurting and some of us are broken. And uh, some of us, we, we feel like we're at a really great place in our life. And, and this was encouraging to hold on to that which we know, to draw near to you, to hold on uh, to, to the faith, the hope that we profess, and then to keep encouraging other people. I pray for opportunities today, Father, for those who, who are looking for opportunities to encourage somebody, to, to be generous to somebody. I pray that those would come today. And I pray for those in this room and those watching and online who have, who have this tendency to isolate themselves. And in the isolation, they, they've been willing to compromise. I pray that they would surround themselves with some people, good people, good brothers and good sisters, who, that, that, that they wouldn't compromise that which they believe. Help us not to compromise, Jesus. I don't want to compromise, God. I don't want to compromise. I want to walk with you. 
for the rest of my life, knowing that one day when I die, you will look at me and say, well done, good and faithful servant. You made it, you finished the race. I don't wanna be old and think that life's not worth living anymore. I got breath in my lungs, God, and I, that means I have to be obedient to you. And so I'm gonna be obedient to you because you are holy, God. And there is no other name like your name. There is no other God like you. You are great. Come on, somebody say he's great. He's great. He's worthy. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If this has blessed you, would you consider giving a financial gift to help bring this message to more people? You can do that at vlcministries.com slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Here's what we believe. Living God's way. Everywhere, every way, every day. We love you and God bless.